we have been looking at, focusing on the Christ. And um, we are coming toward the end of the series. But I say that as a, a Baptistic preacher, because you know what happens when a Baptist preacher or a Baptistic preacher says, and coming to my final point, that usually means he has another half hour to five hours to go. So <clears throat> we've been looking at the reflection of Christ and that coming out of the, the reign of Christ. And beginning with the reflection of Christ, we looked at the individual reflection and saw that when Christ is residing and reigning in your heart, it will be reflected in your life. And so what we say and how we live will be a reflection of who or what is living in our heart. And so if Christ is residing and reigning in our hearts, then he's going to be what's reflected in what we say and how we live. The same is true, we said, of the church. And uh, as we considered the church, we began looking at illustrations that the Bible discusses regarding the church, and that is the building, the bride, and last week we began looking at the body. And we saw, as we discussed the body last week, from Ephesians chapter 1, that we're told that he put all things under his feet, that is, God put all things under Christ's feet, and gave Christ to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. And last week, we began looking at, then, this illustration, this final illustration um, of the body. But just to let you know that this final illustration of the body is going to lead us, then, into that second point that you've had on your sermon note sheets after illustrations. There's the interactions of the body, the interactions of the church. And that interaction segment, by itself, is going to be a couple months. And so... So, as I said, we're, we're transitioning from today into our final point, but that final point is going to be a long final point. It's going to have a lot of subpoints by itself. But as we begin looking at the illustration of the body, we saw that, that God's plan is for the body to, to grow. Um, a lot of discussion about church growth and, and how church growth should happen. And I believe in church growth. Sometimes people look at our body and it doesn't grow fast, and I don't do a lot of things that, you know, kind of draw people in and stuff like that. But I really believe that we, we ought to grow biblically, that God has placed a, a, a plan and a way out there that the body is supposed to grow. It's not supposed to be this um, modern, um, using modern marketing and and bringing in the band and bringing in special events and everything just to draw a crowd. But there is a, a way that God wants us to grow. And so we began discussing that last week. And the first thing that we've got to do as a body for growth is to recognize who our, our head is. And it's not the pastor. You know, a lot of times churches are built around personalities. And I recognize that that's, that's a factor. And I mean, I recognize my teaching style draws people. But I still remember years ago, the, the previous church I pastored, that the church went from 70 to 180 in, um, in just probably about five or six years. And my, my best friend ever, Mike McGowan, was very good at letting me know that it wasn't growing because of me, but that it was growing because of the body. And he was dead on right. That's biblical, and we're going to talk about that today. And so, therefore, I, though I know that as a member of the body and as a vocal cords, if you would, of the body, that I, there is a part of me that, that has an effect that's here. And hopefully, if um, whoever was the vocal cords here wasn't preaching the word, that you wouldn't be here either. Okay, So I recognize that there is that, that part. But the body is beyond the pastor. The body should be beyond, be, should be beyond a personality that's standing up front. It should be beyond the entertainment factor that's going on in that assembly. And 
sadly, I really believe in our, in our land today, that's not the case. I think that many churches are personality or entertainment oriented and not God or word oriented. Christ is the head. And as we saw last week, therefore, we ought to be in submission to him. We ought to be, for, be, for, be performing his bidding. What he chooses to happen is what we should be seeking to follow. Not seeking to do what we want and asking God to follow us. Gee, God, here's what we're going to do. I hope you join us in this one. <clears throat> but here's what we're going to do. Secondly, we need to re- have a recognition of our charge. And we saw from the beginning of Ephesians 4, which again we read this morning in our, our um, Bible reading time, that Paul cries out to the, to the um, believers of Ephesus. He says, calls for them to walk worthy of the calling which with they were called. The goal or the charge to the church is to walk worthy. And remember we talked about that word worthy is the word axios in the Greek, which is where we get our word axiom. In other words, this should be something that is without question, something that is so obvious that no one would even question or doubt the, the trueness of it. And that is that we as a church as a gathering of people who are called out ones, who are believers in Jesus Christ, that we would walk in such a manner that people would look at it and say, wow, they have got to be followers of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt in their mind. It's not that they are followers of this personality or that they are followers of this denominational style, but this group is a follower of Jesus Christ. And we do that when we walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. And we noted that that calling was the call to, does anybody remember? Holiness. That's exactly right. It's the call to holiness. And it's not just the individual call to holiness, but as we're going to talk even more today, one of the things that I struggle with the American church is the individualism of it. It's wrong. Both individually and family style. We are a bunch of individuals, and it's all about us, and it's not about Christ and the church, and that's wrong. There's a balance. We'll talk more about that later. But in that, then, though I am called individually to holiness, we as a body, then, are also called to holiness. We should be seeking to be holy as a body of believers. We should be seeking to be humble, lowliness, and gentle. We talk about the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is to to consider others as being more important and more valuable and their needs being more important than your own. That's the lowliness. Christ said, Come come unto me, all ye that are uh, weak and heavy laden, for I am lowly and humble. Two exact same words here. We are to be following the, the, um, the pattern of Christ and being the reflection of Christ as a body of believers seeking to be lowly and humble, lowly and gentle in all that we do. Finally, in that the recognition of our charge, we're supposed to be endeavoring. In order to walk worthy, we're supposed to be endeavoring, working hard to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That should be something that is a goal for us that's, that's going to be there as, as unity. And with that being said, we want to slide then into that next phase of recognition, and that is the recognition of our goal. But as I just said, coming out of the beginning of 
Ephesians chapter 4, and then we slide into um, verse 11 of chapter 4, because uh, Paul kind of does a parenthesis talking about Christ being the one who's ascended and descended, and he comes back then and talks about how Christ gave gifts to the church. He says that these gifts are going to be given, and we'll talk about this, for a purpose. And, and that purpose we're going to see in just a moment. And I forgot, that's why I put notes up here, to remind myself what I want to do. We want to read three passages, okay? We've already read from Ephesians 4, but let's read verses 11 to 16 again, okay? And then we'll go on to 1 Corinthians 12 there. So turn to Ephesians 4, beginning verse 11. It says, And he that is Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 begins the, a little subsection of Paul's letter to the, the believers of Corinth on the, the gifts of the Spirit and the uses of them and the administration of them and such. And in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse, beginning verse 4, we read, There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kind of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were also baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit." For, in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. 
And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. In our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one mum, mum, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ in members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, variety of tongues or languages. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues or languages? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. And while we're reading, please turn back to Romans 12. And we want to read verses 1 through 13 of Romans 12. We know verse 1 and 2, we talk about them a lot, but it's nice to be able to look at them in their context as well, and how it applies to the body. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship or service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given the hospitality. Now I read all those so that we have those, and the points that are going to be derived now are going to be derived from all three of those passages because all those passages have the same thing in common, and that is the, the, the body of Christ. And the goal that the body of Christ should have. The statement of that goal is pretty clear coming from Ephesians chapter 4 that, that God through Paul states that Christ gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come, what? In the 
unity. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of God, of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Three ways, three different ways, Paul states in that little statement what the goal of the body ought to be. And the goal of the body, the goal of this little local body, should be, how would you state it? Perfection. Perfection. We ought to seek to be perfectionists. Not that, you know, we're stumbling our nose at other people and that kind of stuff, because remember, we're supposed to be doing it with lowliness and gentleness. Okay? But the goal ought to be perfection. The goal ought to be that we have such unity, but not just unity by itself, because unity by itself, we can be Unitarians, right? I mean, what's that mean? That means nothing. But we have unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We have unity in what? Truth. Truth. And we seek after truth. That's our goal. Because when we, we know that when we finally come to the place where we're unified in the fullness of truth, that we will embody he who is truth. Who is that? Jesus Christ. And we are supposed to then come to the measure of that perfect man, that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I have two Greek words kind of in there because it's really kind of cold because there are two words which really in the Greek refer to maturity or completeness, if you would. Paul uses both of those words in here to show us that there's supposed to be this total package of the church. We're not supposed to stop until we get there. We're not supposed to be content. You know, we joke a lot when we when we're doing work and stuff like that, you know, and um, it's good enough for government work. It looks good from Hepzibah, unless we're working in Hepzibah. We can't say that, you know. But, you know, when we're when, in Martinez or Evans, you know, we say, it looks good from Hepzibah. You know, and the, the joke there means what? If no one's looking close, they'll never even know that it's messed up like that, you know. But that's not the goal. The goal is, when I, I mean, when I want somebody, when they're looking in here, that they can't see the patch in the wall. Does that make sense? That's the goal. Now, I tell you, I don't always reach the goal. But that's our goal. Because if your goal's not perfection, what? You'll never reach it. I mean, if, could you imagine the Kentucky Derby was a month ago, wasn't there the second leg just yesterday? We missed that one too. Yeah, I know. Isn't it? Which one? Was it the Belmont yesterday? Huh? The Preakness was yesterday. Could you imagine somebody entering a horse? in one of these horse races, and their goal was for the horse to make it halfway around the track? Isn't that silly? I mean, it's just totally silly. I mean, who enters a race without the desire to win? And yet, we do that with the church. I, 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 don't, I, I just don't get it. I mean, when I go to the workplace, I hope it's your endeavor, wherever you're at, that you'd, you'd like to continue to climb the corporate ladder. If, I mean, not that you're going to climb over everybody's bodies and that kind of stuff, but if you had the opportunity to become a manager and they presented it to you, that it was something that you would be honored to accept. Does that make sense? Not that you're going to, again, shove somebody else down so you can get up there, but you have a goal. You want to be the best employee that you can be. And as those things happen, then that's great. 
I want to be the, des- the best deck builder that there is in Augusta. I want to be the best bathroom remodeler that there is in Augusta. Does that make sense? Not because of pride, but because I think that's what God's standard is for me. In whatever area that I work, I do all to the glory of God. Well, what's got glory is the word doxa in the Greek, and the word doxa originally means reputation. And so we get it to mean glory because we start to consider the reputation of God, and God's reputation should be glorious. So everything I do, I do to the reputation of God because I stand out there in the name of Christ, and when people see the work I do, it reflects upon Jesus. Does that make sense? So that's what your God thinks is good, huh? And I tell people, honestly, I want when I'm done for you to say, praise God for sending this guy, rather than saying, God, why'd you send this guy? I'd rather have you praise God than blaspheme God. That's my desire. It ought to be our desire for us as a body as well. I don't want to accept. Well, it's okay. We're mediocre. We're good. We're making it. That is so wrong, y'all. If your goal for this assembly is not perfection, is not to be fully coming to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, then your goal is wrong. It's so far short. And as we're going to see, it requires, it's going to require everybody, everybody who's a part of this local assembly being sold out for the goal. We built a deck and a pergola this week. It's not a pat on my back. It looks beautiful. I mean, even the guys that worked with me when we were done looked at it and went, whoa, this is pretty cool. I mean, you know, cut out the little three-by-three sections to put it down over the, the the posts and stuff like that. And so, I mean, it was just some intricate cuts we had to do. And it's just, it looks great. It looks wonderful. They were amazed at the work. But we wouldn't allow each other to stop short. Does that make sense? It took each person working that job. I didn't build it all by myself. There were four guys working that job. And it required all four guys to continue to press toward the mark, if you would, for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus, for that deck and that pergola. I didn't lay any board on the deck. I didn't lay one deck board. But the two guys that were putting the deck boards on, buddy, they had the, the bar and they were pushing them so they were nice and tight. That when you look at there is no variance on the boards. That everything is just right. The guy who was helping with the pergola was putting a board across to make sure that the ends of every one of the pergola rafters or whatever you call those things that kind of stick out on top with the fancy edges on the top, you know, that they were all just right. Do you get it? Every part, every person had to do its part in order for there to become perfection in the whole. Now, I can tell you that it's not perfect. There was one place I messed up and I showed it to the owner. I, I always tell him myself. I'd rather tell him myself than have them find it later and, and, and realize, oops, look at that. So I always show it my oopses. And it was just one little oops. And I, it wasn't worth us spending more time. They didn't even know. Even when I showed it to them, they were what? And I said, no, no, look, you got to look. I just want you to see it. It's there. And, um, and so, but what's your goal? What's your goal for the, the body? Well, the next thing we want to look then is the accomplishment of the goal. The accomplishment. How do we accomplish this 
unity then in this completion and perfection to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? Well, as I already said, it requires everybody's participation. Everybody's participation. Every member has to play a part. We all have a part to play. Do you remember when we were reading there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 what it said? If the eye should say, because I'm not the, the ear, I'm not a part of the body. I think it was the ear and the eye. But anyways, whichever. Because I'm not the other, I'm not a part of the body. In other words, the body has no what? No need for me. Therefore, I'm not a, a member of the body. He says, that's just nuts. If everybody was an eye, where would the smelling be? I mean, not many of us think about our little toes. Until we what? Break it or stub it. Or you were on big time on that time. Until we stub it or break it. That's exactly right. We just, we take these things for granted. How many of you on a daily basis think about your appendix? But I, for some of you, <laughs> that's right. For some of you, you had a moment in your life when you thought a lot about your appendix. Because it started to have what? Appendicitis. And for some of you, the appendicitis turned into a what? Ruptured appendix. And that little bitty ruptured appendix could have what? Killed you. Isn't that something? A little part of the body that we don't think anything about. And yet, when it ruptures, it can kill you. How many of you think about breathing? I mean, right now you're thinking, okay, in, out, in, out. Keep going, in, out. Because if you don't think about this, you know, you're going to die. Because you have to what? You have to breathe. But lungs just, they kind of work. Your heart. How many of you are thinking, beep, 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 beep? You're not thinking about it. Your heart's just working. But I guarantee you there's a time when you think about your lungs. You know, usually it's when you fall off of something and you hit your side wrong and it knocks the air out of you. And how many of you ever had that happen to you? You had air knocked out of you? That's pretty painful, isn't it? And all of a sudden you begin to realize what? Oh, I got two lungs that usually have air in them. And, and, and this is always just going on. And you know what? That part of my body, which I never thought about, was very important. Could you imagine what it would be like if one of your lungs decided not to work anymore? I knew a man that that happened to. He had to have a lung removed. And he has no, hardly any energy. He functions, but the energy level, because the oxygen level in his body decreased. Do you get it? The woman we've been praying for and have discussed, Copeland, I can't remember her first name, Amy, in the paper the other day, she's going to lose both her hands and feet. And we hear that and we think, oh, why? Because it's important to have hands and feet. Now, in today's day and age, they can make prosthetics and, and that kind of stuff, but there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference having your hands and feet and prosthetics. What happens if a hand decides it doesn't want to be a part of the body? Or it wants to hang out with the body, it just doesn't want to work. Sadly, a lot of churches, can I be point blank, including this one? have a lot of people who want to hang out with the body. They just don't want to be, play a part. But in order for the church to grow, in order for the church to grow, it requires 
everybody, every member, to play their part. Now, I don't know, if, was it here that I, I talked about the church? Yeah, it was. That going from 70 to 180? I can tell you exactly what transformed that church at that moment. We had two couples, two families that came into that church, and I won't say who they were. And they came in that church, not just to sit in the pews, but they came in to be actively involved. And when they came in, they began inviting people to their house every Sunday. Visitors. They already had a meal prepared that Sunday. See, people expect the pastor to be hospitable. People expect the pastor to greet them. They don't expect the body to. And so what Mike said was true. When the the body began to function as a body, the body began to grow because they began to edify one another. That's what Ephesians 4 talks about. When the joints and the sinews of the body began to do its part, and it began in love to edify one another, the body began to grow. And I'm going to step on it and step in it and have at it, okay? The practical use of roles. No, we're not talking about dinner roles and, and that kind of stuff. We're talking about lists. I know that in um, there is within sub, subcultures of Christianity the aversion to roles or membership roles, more likely. Okay, I'm not into membership either, like a club. I believe that if you're if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a member of the body of Christ, global. But when we come into the local assembly, there is a requirement for organization that goes on so that the local assembly can function properly. You say, well, many people say, well, that's not biblical. And I turn around and I say to you, you're wrong. 100% you are wrong, and I'm not going to back off on it. Look at what happens here in the beginning of the church. The church begins to grow incredibly. And we know that over 3,000 souls were saved on the day of Pentecost. And still more and more were being saved and adding to the number of the church. We'll get to that number in a moment. But we read beginning in Acts 6, it says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. The what? The daily distribution. Wait, first of all, we know that there's, there's numbers. People are keeping numbers of how many people are being what? Saved. So they know who are, who's a part of the, the church in Jerusalem and who's not. They also know who are the what? Who are the widows? And they've got some daily distributions going on. There's some daily functioning going on. But what's happening is that the only ones who are doing the work were the apostles, if you would, the first 11, okay? And, and they were being overloaded. They were being overwhelmed by the growth of the church, okay? And it says the widows were being neglected in daily distribution. Then the twelve, some of the multitude of disciples, says it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, therefore, what's a therefore, therefore? 
based upon what went before, what I'm going to tell you now is happened. Can I submit to you the word therefore right here is pragmatism. It's practical reasoning. At this point, Peter didn't say, therefore, according to Exodus chapter 13, verses 12 to 12 to 25, we need to have deacons. Deacons weren't used before this. They were established right here. Why? Pragmatism. It was practical. There was a need that needed to be met. And so they presented their idea to the church. It met with approval of the church. And they got more. Therefore, brethren, seek out among you seven good men, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer to the ministry of the word. Well, it gone even further then when Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus, right? And this concept of this role, the numbering system, must continue on in other churches. Because look what happens where Paul tells Timothy, he says, Do not let a widow, there we go, widows again, right? Under 60 years old, be taken into the number, catalego, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has been brought, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints of the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. That word catalego means to write down, to write down, to make a rule. It is the Greek word that is used to come up with a ledger or a rule, a listing of members. And so they had rules. R-O-L-L, listings that they would have so they would know who the widows were. It's not wrong to be pragmatic as long as pragmatism doesn't what? Go against Scripture. Can somebody point me to a Scripture that says that we can have a piano? I'm waiting. No, no. There ain't no there ain't no piano there. And that's Old Testament. Doesn't say we're supposed to use a piano to make a joyful noise, does it? No, nowhere in the New Testament does it say anything about an instrument. In fact, there are churches today called the Church of Christ that have no musical instruments because the New Testament never declares that we're supposed to have an instrument. If you went to the Old Covenant, which some people look at you and say, oh, we shouldn't do that because we're New Testament believers. We're in the New Covenant, not the Old Covenant. But even if you went to the Old Covenant, it says nothing about a piano. What about a church administrator or church secretary? What about Sunday school classes? What about toddler church? What about youth groups? See, none of those things are there. Therefore, we should get rid of everything. That's not right. That's exactly right. Arguments from silence are wrong when we build a doctrine upon them. Unless something goes against Scripture. Jesus said, if they're not against us, they're what? They're for us. Not a one of you would have an issue with the piano. You're here. Why is it that all of a sudden we want to have an issue with having a statement of commitment and accountability? Not a church vote to whether you're a member of Christ, but a statement to the body 
that we are here and we are committed to this assembly. We have been considering trying to purchase property. This week, Steve got to talk to the loan officer at the bank. And the bank wants to know, how many committed members do you have? How many people attend? How many are members? Now, I can stand from the world's perspective, okay? But so they want to just know, based upon our constitution, how many are committed? Well, less than half. Less than half are committed. Well, here's our recommendation. You, you go ahead and put in a bid, and we'll see how the, the finance process goes. They won't give us a number. They don't see commitment in this assembly. That's a reflection of Christ. And that's straight up. I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm, I'm not saying it to flog. It's just happened this week. It's a fact. Today, right now, over half the people in this assembly have are not committed to this assembly. And this assembly cannot continue without it. We will not grow. We will die. Just as cancer kills a body. I'm going to cry. I'm very sad about it. I am intricately involved in this body. It's my life. And I don't want to meow to you, but that's why I've been doing maintenance and cleanouts and remodelings and everything else for the last eight years. I'm committed. I'm sold out to this assembly. And it drives me bonkers. This is my flesh speaking, okay? Do you hear it? This is my flesh. It drives my flesh bonkers. When there's people who say, we need to have a church like this and everybody needs that, and then they won't commit. I just don't get it. Other than it's the American way. We're a bunch of individuals. And as we are individually, so we are by families. And many of you are homeschoolers. I'm a homeschooler. I've already said this morning, I'm in charge of the homeschool graduation. I'm on, I'm on the board of directors for the local homeschool association and yada, yada, yada. And, and I know that And if you want to homeschool in Columbia County, they, send, they, call, they give you my number. And you talk to my wife. That's how intricately involved in homeschooling we are. So I have every platform to say what I'm going to say. Homeschoolers drive me nuts. Because we're a bunch of individualists. And we're not willing to be a part of the whole. When we started working with the graduations years ago, boy, it drove me bonkers. Because homeschoolers want to be individualists. That's why they homeschool. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I homeschool. But that philosophy is wrong when it comes to the church. It's not about me. And it's not about my family. It's about the kingdom of God. My family, though it is important to me, and it is, t between Marsh and I are supposed to be reflecting Christ in the church, and my family is important as I'm supposed to be ruling well my house and being a reflection of 
Christ's leadership in the church. Yet I recognize, and, and I state this honestly with my family here, they're meaningless compared to the kingdom of God. They are expendable compared to the kingdom of God. I am expendable compared to the kingdom of God. If you will not bring yourself to that place to recognize that. Now, there is a balance. There is a balance. Churches burn out families. And that's what's caused the whip going the other way. Churches have been wrong. Pastors have abused their flocks. They've overworked them. That's our desire is not to do that, but to be biblical, to have that balance. In June, we're getting rid of care groups. We're not going to be meeting on Sunday evenings anymore. We're going to go to twice having family days. So having covered us dinners on the first and third Sundays of the, of the, of the month and, and having a family day. Pray that the Lord gives us the facility as well, that we have all this property for the, all the families and kids can, can be running around and enjoying the day together. It's kind of tight doing family days in here. But do you see the growth of the body? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Unless we, as members individually, will be, be committed to the body corporally or collectively. The functions of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. <clears throat> In Ephesians 4 it says, And Christ gave some to be apostles, and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers if you have that open there Ephesians 4 I want you to look at this because it's important because it's not been translated properly it drives me bonkers it's very clear in the Greek it says and for those who know Greek you can check me out on this and some of you have because I always always bring it up in the in our Greek class it says and he gave some apostles and prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints what's the next word it's not. It's the Greek word ace, meaning into. See, the word first four was four. Is he gave some apostles and prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints into the work of the ministry, into the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, it's not my job to do the work of the ministry. It's my job to teach you to equip you so that you all do the work of the ministry into the edifying of the body of Christ. It's when the body does the work of the ministry that the body becomes edified. Now, as a part of the body, I'm supposed to do my job as well. But it's not my job to do the work of the ministry. It's not my job to do the hospital visitation. It's not my job to do all the discipleship. It's not my job to serve communion. It's not my job to mow the grass. It's not my job to set up communion. It's not my job to clean up the church every week. It's not my job to make sure the air conditioning is running. Do I sound like I'm meowing? I'm not meowing because a lot of you do a lot of those things. I'm just trying to make a point. In a lot of assemblies, in a lot of churches, and especially when you get bigger and bigger and bigger churches, they begin to professionalize all this stuff. That's not what the Bible teaches. And I think that's where we've gone so far off. We've missed out. And we've, we've treated church like Golden Corral. I pick and choose. I can't eat everything that's there. 
So I'm going to go in and pick and choose. I want steak today. I'll have steak today. I don't need to worry about Sunday school. I'll just go to church. Well, I don't even need church. I'll just go to Sunday school and I'll leave. Or maybe I'll do care group. Maybe I don't want to do care group. Maybe I'll go Wednesday night. No, I don't need Wednesday night. Now, I'm not picking on you. You don't have to be here every time the church door is open. Okay? But if your mindset is, is that, if your mindset is that this is just a smorgasbord, that the mindset is that this is um, like a potluck dinner, your mindset's wrong. I hope you teach your children when you go to somebody's house and food is placed in front of them that they eat what is there. They don't say, I don't mind that. I'm not eating that. That's disrespectful to the host. That's wrong. It's rude. Love is not rude. And so if it's placed in front of them, they should eat. Now, I'd like to tell you all my kids have no problem with that. We work on that. I'd like to tell you that the guy's talking to you right now has no problem with that. I work on him sometimes too. You know, I go to your house and you put green beans in front of me. I praise God for the green beans and I, and I gag. Anyways, um, but I'll eat them. I'll eat them because it's dishonoring to the host or hostess if I don't. So don't do that to me just in case. Anyways, um, <laughs> but get it. But practically speaking, bring that back to the church. Sometimes we say, but I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't agree with that. Big deal. Do you like everything that goes on at work? Do you go to your boss and say, oh, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to be a part of that. I'll do this. I'll do that. It's not going to happen that way. Why is it only church where we're supposed to be the most intimate and most committed? Why is it only the church that we're not? Why is it that people can get up at 6.30 every day of the week in order to get to work, but when it comes to church on Sunday, they can't even get up in time to go? Would we be late for work like we're late for church? Every single one of you, because there's no visitors here today, even those who aren't committed, you're here and you come continually, you're faithful to come, You see yourself as a peripheral part of the body, I guess. You are the host and hostess here. When visitors walk in, they expect somebody to greet them. Not for the people who are supposed to be here to show up 15 minutes late. It's pretty embarrassing when you pull in a parking lot and all the guests are already there. Or we're sitting here, as we were two weeks ago, waiting for people of the church to show up so that the people who are coming to minister to us can minister to us. Yeah, groan. That's pretty sad. Again, I'm not flogging. I'm exhorting. I hope it's coming across as in love. I, I just, we have got, we have got to get it. And if we don't get it, we're not going to grow. We're not grow biblically. I refuse to grow secularly. I refuse to grow by bringing in bands. It's not. I'm not going to go there. I yearn for a New Testament church. I yearn for it. I yearn for for a body of believers who are in balance, who are seeking to raise up their families, whether public school, private school, home school, or other kind of school, I don't really care, that are seeking to raise up their family according to the standards of God and bringing that into a body, commitment to a body, where collectively they are seeking to impact their community for Christ. They're going out, they're knocking on doors. The Jehovah Witnesses are. The Mormons are. Why don't we? Because we're too worried about ourselves, our own little schedules. 
We don't want to be inconvenienced. It's about the kingdom of God, not all about Bob. It requires the proper motivation. What's the motivation? Well, the motivation very clearly is in each one of those passages. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Romans 12, we have many members in one body. Verse 5, being many, we are one body. 1 Corinthians 12 again, it says, the members should have the same care for one another. If I don't have the mind of Christ, we talked about it last week, if I don't have the mind of Christ, it'll never happen. If you are not more important than me, I will never treat you like that. And I will never have the mind of Christ and I will never reflect Christ. If your needs are not more important than my needs, if your value is not greater than my value, it'll never happen. It will never reach the world for Christ. Never. Do you know what the the people of Jerusalem saw when the church was multiplying, not just adding? They saw people selling land to meet the needs of one another. We'll talk about these one another's in these months ahead. They saw people who were committed to one another. They couldn't get enough of each other. It wasn't a matter of, well, I guess we got to go with Sunday. If you're only here because it's Sunday morning and socially that's what you're supposed to do, don't come anymore. It's wrong. It's a facade. It's hypocrisy. Jesus said these people worship me with their their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. This is a watershed moment for me. This body, after eight years, has got to catch a vision. And it has to move together. It's not Bob's church. Someone years ago joked about it being the Corbin Family Bible Church. I grieved. Oh, I grieved. They were joking. But it should be a joke. Do you pray for a song leader? I do. I don't want to lead singing. I hate leading singing. I love to sing, but I hate leading the singing. Because every time I mess up when I'm leading the singing, it goes right into the message. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> and it goes right into it. I get nervous speaking. Right now I'm nervous. My, my innards right now are just quaking. Public speaking is not my love. God dragged me. I'm praying for another pianist. I'm praying for a guitarist. I'm praying for people to be involved. I'm praying for deacons to stand up. I'm praying for elders. We declare in our constitution we believe in elders. We don't have any. Me. I'm praying for it. If this body is going to grow, biblically, it's going to happen not from Bob. It's going to happen within the body. And honestly, this is straight up. Because I know, again, it's not all about me, but I know that if I left right now, this is sad. This body would disintegrate. And I don't want it to be about me. So we, as a grouping, need to decide, is this something that Augusta needs? 
And if we do, if we believe that this is biblical, and this is what God wants us to do, we need to man up. We need to take the moment to say, I'll be there. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to be here every time the door opens up. And it doesn't mean that everybody's got to teach Sunday school. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to take nursery. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to clean the church. It means that everybody's going to do something. And everybody's going to be seeking God. What do you want me to do in that assembly? How do you want me to minister to that assembly? How can we move forward? How can I open up my purse strings for that church to move forward? Not because it's about Bob. Because it's about Christ and the work that he's doing. But if what this church is about, and this is, I'm, I'm being honest here, this is straight up. If what this church is all about isn't that important to you, can I be nice in saying this? Then find another assembly that you are committed to. Because if you're not committed to this assembly, then you're sinning against God. Whatever assembly. I mean, it doesn't mean this assembly. You are to be committed to a local assembly that's part of a body of Christ. And I understand some of you are in transitions, but many of you are not. And you have to make the decision what you're going to do. And I don't mean it, honestly, I don't mean it as rude. And I'm not going to bring it up again. You know, as we talk about the one another, I'm going to talk about how we're supposed to be treating one another, but I'm not going to camp on this thing again. I don't like it. I don't. I don't like preaching on giving. I don't like preaching on membership. I, you know, all that kind of. Stuff. I just don't like it. Okay, because I know it's con- conflict. And it's con- uh, what do you call it? No, not controversial, but maybe conflict's the word. I, I don't like conflict. I'm I'm, I'm conflict avoidance kind of guy, you know. And so, but I can't walk away from it. Self-centered individualism, even at the family level, is not conducive to growing a healthy body. So. In conclusion, what is your goal for this assembly? What is it? I wish more people were packed out here. I know that you know we have some on mission trips and stuff like that. But what's your goal? Are you intricately involved and committed to the achievement of this assembly being perfected in Christ? If it was left up to you, where would this body be right now? Your commitment to the local assembly that you attend regardless of whether it's here or someplace else, is a reflection of your commitment to Christ. And finally, is there a need for you to change the way you think regarding your and your family's commitment to the local assembly? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, you are faithful at all times. You are tender and compassionate and yet there are many times that you are forceful and you have a goal for us individually to be conformed to the image of Christ and corporately collectively to be conformed to the image of Christ Lord help us to have that desire to reflect Christ to this world both individually and as we gather together. That we may be one, that they may see that you, Father, Son, and Spirit are one. Help us to recognize that we bear witness of the trueness of your triunity 
as we as individuals are unified in your name. Lord, forgive me for being harsh at times. But God, I pray for this assembly. I believe you have a purpose for us. That you desire in this day for a people to gather together to seek to meet according to your principles. To be a family. To be a body. Lord, help us to be that. In ourselves, in our own sinful ways, we will always pull away. God, I pray that we would seek to magnify you in our personal lives, in our homes, and in the joining together of this assembly. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.